Hi there, thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order, and then convene to talk about what they saw, comparing their experiences as young people who fell in love with the show as children, never fell out of love with it, and older people who continue to love it. My name is Jersey Drozd, I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hoover. Hey, Hoover. Excited to talk about Transformers with you once again taking a very close look at the series that we've talked on the phone about for over a quarter century and <laughs> discovering new things to love about it. This has been a very revelatory experience for me. Mm-hmm. When I set out to do this with you, I hoped I would gain not really a better understanding of the happenings in the episodes. Cause I thought I had a pretty good handle on that, but I was pretty oblivious to who wrote what mm-hmm. and what that meant for each episode, like if something happened in an episode I liked and then a different episode I liked, was that the same person? I just never really paid much attention to the names. I would see them, but I would just sort of go, okay. I mean, sometimes an episode would be written by a writer I was familiar with, so that would sort of resonate. But Mm -hmm. other than that, this project has given me a great opportunity to for example, like now we have that phrase, this is a Boothian episode, you know, <laughs> yes, right. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> we found some new textures in the mm-hmm. series to enjoy. About. That's a good way so, to put it. So speaking of which, which episode are we talking about this week? Speaking of texture, we're going to talk about rust. Mm, cosmic rust. Mm. And this is by Paul David's. And I was like, I don't remember that name. And I looked at the list, and this is his first episode. Oh. And he also did two episodes of Defenders of the Earth, that oh, cartoon wow. with Flash Gordon and Mandrake the Magician and the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And he did an episode of Bionic 6, hey. an episode of Spiral Zone, huh. and he did an episode of Cops around this time. This might be the first animated cartoon he did. I'm not really sure of the release dates of these others, but I think... They all came after this. I think that's right. I actually, I'm pretty sure Bionic Six came later, and Cops came later too. I want those say did, but were... Defenders of the Earth was listed as 86, and this is 86 really? also. So okay, so could be contemporaneous with those, but either way, it's its first Transformers episode and 10,000 foot view. We get some really interesting stuff in here. Mm-hmm. We get some really unique voice acting from Frank Welker in terms of his performance as Megatron. And you texted me a gif of, what's his name, from Parks and Rec, looking anticipatorily gleeful, saying there's something that I felt like this about this episode, so I am curious to find out what that is. (laughs) It's the gif from Andy from Parks and Recreation, where he looks to the camera and he's super excited all of a sudden. He's like sitting at a desk. Yeah. So when I was going over this episode this week, I heard something and it made me excited. Oh. But we'll address that soon. Okay, cool. So I imagine there's a couple of people listening right now saying, oh, but Jersey Hoover, I want to watch it first so I can find out how I feel about it before I listen to how you feel about it. Is there a way for them to do that, Hoover? Do they need to go buy the DVDs? Yes, you need to go oh. back in time to when they still sold DVDs everywhere. No. Go, go to the Virgin Music Store. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and shout out to Guy, who is still watching these on DVD. That's right. But if you don't want to do that, you go to Season 2, Episode 44 at 2B.TV under Transformers G1. And right. there it will be. So if there's nothing else to say about that, I will perform the time-honored tradition of the IMDb logline cold read. I don't look at it until I show up for the recording and to see if I slip on the icy patch in front of the door, trip over the ottoman, whatever metaphor you want, where I fall down because of something that obstructed me or caused missteps. Here we go. <clears throat> Megatron gets hit by some meteor fragments. The areas that were hit begin to rust. The Decepticons capture Perceptor to find a cure for their leader. But once cured, Megatron hatches a scheme to infect the Autobots with cosmic rust. Did I do it? It's You did it correctly, and technically it's correct, but boy, those are some small sentences. <laughs> Couldn't they combine some of those? I feel like I needed to be standing in front of the classroom with my hands behind my back and rocking on my heels while I read this. <laughs> Megatron gets hit by some meteor fragments. Uh, the areas that were hit begin to rust, and uh, the Decepticons capture Perceptor. Anyway, yeah, but it, hey, look, as long as it doesn't have weird word choices in it, I'm happy. So, Cosmic Rust, Megatron is infecting people with a disease. We have germ warfare <laughs> in the Transformers now. Wow. As we open, we see Astrotrain flying through space. And from inside, we hear Rumble backseat driving, telling him to watch out for the asteroids. Now, Jersey, remember our fanon for Astrotrain. Remember that one time he told Megatron he was going on alert status. And that one time he let Cosmos get right on top of him without noticing. Right. From there, we extrapolated that Astrotrain naps on occasion. <laughs> Hey, if you have three modes, you transform more and you get tired. So maybe Astrotrain nods off during long trips and Rumble has to wake him up every so often to stop him from flying into things. <laughs> Boom. It's now official. That's right. It's canon now. Astrotrain has narcolepsy. <laughs> oh, poor Astrotrain. You're getting slapped in the back of the head by Rumble. Hey, 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 hey. Eyes on the road. <laughs> well, then suddenly in front of them is a planet with a great big old yellow Autobot symbol on it. Yes, a planet. Yeah, I, I remember this very clearly as a kid, and I can't remember if we spent a whole lot of time talking about like the faction symbols, but mm -mm. it literally looks like the planet Jupiter, but imagine under one of the layers of the clouds is a glowing yellow Autobot symbol the size of one or two of the great red spot combined. It's gigantic. It's the size of Australia. Uh, compared to the Earth, right? <laughs> it's weird. It makes no sense. But as a kid, I really loved this idea of a colony, like just telegraphing their presence on a planet that way. With like, well, we shaped our city like the Autobot insignia, and yeah, at night we leave all the lights on, <laughs> so the whole, <laughs> the whole universe can see where we are. Which is like that's counterintuitive, given that you know you have a war going on. But maybe they're a peaceful colony, and maybe they're pre-war colony. Who knows? But also just. It reminded me of the fact that when I was a child, we didn't have a lot of Transformers apparel that just had the symbol, right? Mm -hmm. 
usually kids apparel at that time had to have the character plastered on it. So it'd be like, here's a Jetfire t-shirt. Here's an Optimus t-shirt. And it had like some of the packaging art on it or something. But you didn't have just like a t-shirt with an Autobot symbol. And I remember when I, once I got screen printing materials, that was like <laughs> job one. Job one is I'm putting Autobot <laughs> symbols on everything I own uh, to, to a silly degree. But it's worth noting that like the Decepticon Autobot symbols are really neat looking. And it's cool that you have this graphical representation of the allegiance similarly to gi joe and cobra but although gi joe doesn't really have a simple graphic the way cobra does right yeah they tried to do it with the live action movie but no (laughs) so anyway but going back to the episode yeah they're closing on a planet with a giant yellow glowing autobot symbol on it that is like one-fifth the area of the side of the planet that we see so it's it's noticeable and naturally, it takes Astrotrain by surprise. Well, fry my heat shield. Get a load of that, Pipsqueak, the Autobot symbol. In this part of the galaxy, our sensors show no sign of life. Exercise caution. They may be deceiving our sensors. So as you can tell, Megatron and Starscream are also present on this field trip. Where they are, who knows? But they enter the planet's atmosphere and land among metal buildings. And we get a really nice pan here showing this Autobot colony, which is all very sepia-toned with the reddish sky and the universally yellow and orange buildings. But it looks very sandy, dusty, desiccated, abandoned. There's not, no movement. Also, if I could just take a moment to underline Astrotrain's line, while well, fry my heat shield. That is super cute. I love the idea of Transformers having idiomatic expressions that refer to their vehicle mode. So, <laughs> moving on. Well, they exit Astrotrain and find no signs of life. And this makes Megatron suspicious. As they walk, they find a monument of sorts with a wall of text. Starscream laments that none of them read Ancient Autobot. And this begs the question, are there separate Autobot and Decepticon languages? There hasn't seemed to be, nor has there been any reason to believe that's been the case. But maybe it's the ancient part that they can't read, like ancient Autobot is the same as ancient Decepticon, and they can't read that either. (laughs) Beats me. Just another thing to think about. Well, yeah, it could be like old English, you know, like Mm -hmm. when you when you read like the Canterbury Tales, and all that. (laughs) It could could be like it's just recognizable enough. But also, I kind of like the idea of you've never read Watership Down, right? Correct. There's an idea in that book that all the animals have their own sort of internal languages. So the rabbits all speak rabbit and then the crows all speak crows. But then there's this common speech called common hedgerow where all animals can converse amongst like interspecies by using common hedgerow. So I like this idea that like perhaps, you know, in the early days of Cybertron, Decepticons and Autobots did have different languages and the language they speak now is like the sort of the common tongue, the universal language, ba weep grana, weep nittybong. But... Anyway, I like that idea a lot. I think it, it, it points to interesting lore, and I don't know how it, I'm certain it wasn't intentional, just that they wanted to show that it's in a mysterious building with ancient glyphs on it, right? So we'll just call it Ancient Autobot. But it points to something that I wonder if anybody's built on that since. If, if somebody's read a comic that builds on this idea, I'd love to know about it. So Starscream, of course, has no patience, so he starts fiddling with the controls on this monument against Megatron's orders, who warns that it could be booby-trapped. What trap? This is a prehistoric communication device, you uneducated dolt! Starscream brings the thing to life, and it shines a light down where the Decepticons stand, causing them to back away. 
Then, where they once stood, a transparent image appears and begins speaking. If Cybertron be your home, far away, never roam. Hear my message, listen and fear. Danger comes, the end is near. Just like us, you soon will rust. All shall be turned to dust. Now we see this Autobot is a light blue color and very Florodarian design. He really looks a lot like Blur from Season 3. Yeah, he does. A good third of his body is this brown rust, which maybe more resembles a kind of mossy growth as it's drawn. As he's speaking, he's also crackling with like short-circuiting energy. Mm-hmm. And you hear it in his voice, too, how weak and feeble he sounds. And it really does, they did a decent job of, of making it look like this is what a diseased robot would look like and sound mm-hmm. like. It also the fact that there's like this like kind of poem thing to us, it feels very much like a curse. Right. Yeah. Well, after he gives his warning, the image fades away. And Rumble thinks it's a curse. And Astrotrain thinks it's a bad omen. But not Megatron. He thinks it's just an Autobot trick. Now here is Megatron's primary flaw on display. Megatron does not understand that Autobots don't view life the way he does. This has come up before, like when he made his Optimus Prime robot, and he thinks if his clone just does a better job shooting and racing, that the Autobots will assume he's the real deal. But in the end, it's lack of compassion for Spike that exposes him as fake. And here is yet another example. He finds an Autobot warning and assumes it's a trick because a Decepticon warning would be a trick. Mm-hmm. But he somehow fails to grasp the earnestness of the Autobots. Maybe because deep down he doesn't believe that they're earnestly so good? I don't know. Just yet another thing to think about. And this is, no, this is exactly what we keep talking about in terms of like what makes the, the platonic ideal of a Transformers episode is that the differences between their worldviews needs to be expressed in some way or another, whether or not it's the fulcrum point of the episode. It just needs to happen mm-hmm. in there someplace. And I, that, that's a very good observation is that the Decepticons are always stymied by the fact that they can't see past their own reflection. My worldview is everybody's worldview. Of course it is. This was expressed in Triple Takeover, where Astro Train is like, well, I need an army. Well, I'm a train. I'm going to make a bunch of trains. <laughs> he just like mirrors himself. It's his own lack of vision. It, you could call it conceit. I think in Megatron's case, it would be like a, a sociopathy and, and like a, a sense of, you know, conceit, self-aggrandizement. I am a genius leader. I see the world the correct way. That's, of course, how everybody else thinks, right? My assumptions about the world are truth. Therefore, if I'm going to trick somebody, anybody else who would offer help would be tricking too. Whereas in the case of Triple Takeover, it was Astrochain and Blitzwing having a lack of vision, a myopia, right? They, they can't mm-hmm. see past their own noses. They're getting in their own way with their own lack of vision. So, yes, I love this idea that Megatron simply can't envision kindness as a possibility it's <laughs> it's a way to slip by him it's a way to bamboozle him and it gets me wondering about like future stories with transformers if somebody wants to jump on that and play on that and this goes back to something you were talking about in a recent episode about megatron just being a, a tyrant instead of being a misunderstood heroic or anti-hero character mm-hmm. so you can do a lot of cool stuff with that with him basically being blind to compassion right 
I have a lot more thoughts on that that I won't waste time with here, but I know we'll come back to it later on in, in future episodes. But what this writer has, has tripped upon is something that I think is essential to what makes Transformers work for us. So he presses on and thinking it's a trick, and what happens? Well, Starscream is thinking along the same lines as Megatron here. Where there's a curse on the door, there's treasure on the other side. So the four of them enter a nearby building, and inside, on a raised platform atop a staircase, is a giant beetle-looking sculpture. Starscream jovially calls it a lightning bug, and ascends the stairs and wrestles with it to try to see what it does. Now this thing is taller than him. Starscream tries to remove it from its base with no luck. Rumble comes up to help, but the thing won't budge. Rumble literally runs up and says, I'll help you. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know, it's not, it's not like a super clever line, but it echoes that kind of moments with Decepticons that we like to celebrate at the show where they're just acting mm -hmm. like people instead of like all like monsters all the time. Yeah. Anyway. So Megatron tells them to stand aside as he begins to pull up the device. Whatever he does causes it to light up and fire off a bolt of energy above, which makes a giant hole in the ceiling. Rumble declares that they sure don't make lightning bugs like they used to. No! How ironic! The Autobots will be destroyed with a weapon they created! Ha ha ha! Yeah! Finally! Yeah, how long did that take? <laughs> we were really both fearing that we would never hear Megatron say how ironic again in this series. In our memory, he had said it all the time. But in actuality, up until now, he had only said it three times. So it was a case of us just watching those three <laughs> episodes a lot in the past. And just a week before we're recording this, we brought it up. And we really had to start to get used to the fact that we may never hear another how ironic out of him. But here we are, and the world feels a little more comfortable. <laughs> and this is what I heard when I instantly texted Jersey the Andy gif from Parks and Rec. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see. We're not out of our minds. He did say it more than a few times. <laughs> <laughs> he did say it more than three times. He said it four times. Well, this has become such an exchange between us over the years that I even screen capped when Transformers Prime Megatron says it is rather ironic. And I, I have that in my <laughs> photo app waiting to text you sometime when the opportunity arises just to show that every iteration of Megatron uses how ironic. <laughs> but not as much as, as Gen 1. I mean, he's so we're up to four or five? Four. Four times. This is That's four, great. yeah. Wow. There's been three different things that we've been keeping tabs of since the beginning. That's how many times Spike yells for help. Mm -hmm. And as of now, that's up to 11. Of course, it's been a long time. I believe he only yelled for help once in season two so far. Wow. But we're up to 11 times for that. And how many times does Skywarp teleport? That was six. And according to TF Wiki, that won't happen anymore. Mm. And we've been keeping tabs on how often Megatron says how ironic. And this is the fourth one. So here we are. Whew. So they leave the planet with the beetle doohickey. And as Astrotrain flies home, Megatron notices an asteroid is following them, so he yells at him to speed up. Yeah, this asteroid is following them. Mm -hmm. You see it change course to go after them, which I think is interesting. I don't know if this gets explained. <laughs> <laughs> I do know, and it does not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, so that that is odd. Maybe it's some ancient weapon that was used on the Autobots. Maybe even by ancient Decepticons. Maybe they set this drone thing and maybe it was what basically found the planet and well ended up destroying the planet. Who knows? We're going to get a little bit of backstory on the planet a little later. And the asteroids get mentioned, and now you got me wondering if something got left on the cutting room floor. Now, wouldn't it be mm. extra ironic if those asteroids are Decepticon weapons? Yeah, it would be. Anyway, so yes, Astrochain, hit the gas, and don't mm. hit anything. Wake up, Astrochain. Chop, chop, let's go. <laughs> but it continues to follow them, and so Megatron decides to use his new toy on it. He fires up the lightning bug, and remember, they're all inside Astrochain. Yeah. <laughs> And he fires through a hole in Astrotrain's thruster area. So, if I were Astrotrain in this situation, I'd be like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> but somehow the energy blast only goes through the little hole above Astrotrain's thrusters. That's very convenient. Yeah. So then the asteroid is hit and it explodes, showering Astrotrain with shards of rock. Pieces even pierce his outer hole and fly inside, hitting Megatron in the shoulder. Megatron sounds really incredibly wounded here, but he just has a little piece of space rock embedded in his shoulder. But I guess Megatron is so used to not being hurt that when he is hurt, he can't deal with it. <laughs> he has an incredibly low pain threshold, but it's just mm -hmm. his armor is so great he never feels pain. That's why he walks yep. around so confidently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love this performance. Everything mm -hmm. Frank Walker does in this episode is fantastic. He's always mm -hmm. great as Megatron. But that line sounds so good, and it's weird to hear Megatron sound vulnerable. Panicked. And I, yeah. And, and as a kid, I think I really picked up on this, especially what's coming up next. I really felt like, wait a second, this must be bad if Megatron is that scared. Right? <laughs> well, Astro Train sloppily heads towards Earth and the safety of Deceptitown under the sea. We transition to inside the base, and Megatron is lying on a repair table being filled in by Starscream. Astrotrain will be laid up for weeks until replacement parts are manufactured. Forget Astrotrain. It is me who must be attended to. That's a nasty tear in your shoulder, Megatron. Brilliant observation, Starscream. Now get that asteroid chunk out of me. Now stepping back a moment... This is a different Starscream than we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Megatron literally fell over once and Starscream deemed himself the leader. <laughs> and now Megatron is allowing Starscream to tend to his wounds, and weirder still, Starscream is doing it. There's no Megatron is lying on a table, therefore I am the new leader. Right. Now my first take was, that's not right. But Jersey, you pointed out something when we covered a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court. In that episode, Starscream got to be the boss, at least of Ramjet and Rumble, and you deduced that he was so excited to see Megatron at the end because he learned the hard way that being the boss sucks, <laughs> and it basically right. robbed him of his <laughs> desire to dethrone Megatron. But then in Triple Takeover, he thinks he'll co-lead with the Triple Changers, but they turn on him, 
and Megatron thwarts them all in the end. So maybe Starscream isn't feeling taking over so much anymore, at least mm. not today. Yeah. Or you could say inconsistent writing, but I like <laughs> to find reasons for things. That is your job. That's what that mm-hmm. that is the function on your tech spec. <laughs> yep. No prize a waiter. <laughs> So we see something we haven't seen anyone do in a while, and that's retract a hand to reveal a tool. And Starscream's right hand retracts, and out pops a claw-type pair of pliers. After some struggle, Starscream gets the chunk of rock out of Megatron. Unfortunately, the operation is successful. Your humor escapes me, Starscream. What is this on my chest hole? It looks like some sort of rust. That is ridiculous. We are rust-proof. Perhaps you were made of shoddy materials, Megatron. That's absurd, you fool! So, when they're referring to Megatron's shoulder, we get a close-up of it, and it really does look like a flower-shaped tear. Like, it, it, the metal has ripped open like a flower shape and it's covered in this brown rust but the way it's drawn they did it i think they did a decent job of making it look like disease as well as rust it doesn't just look like Mm. some corrosion on the edges of the metal it's this brown almost bubbly broccoli like substance that's forming all around the wound it's not just like a color swipe it's Mm -hmm. it's a growth almost yeah, yeah, it looks like a growth around the hole in his shoulder, which I can't tell you how I felt about that as a child. I don't remember, but I am certain that the sort of the gore of it, and this is something we talked about in some past episodes too, about like how in children's fiction, there's sh- certain things that you have to sort of conceal until they're conceptually ready for it. And mm-hmm. I feel like this was the 11 slash 12 year old equivalent of like Saw. Right? There's like, oh, it's, it's gross. It's really disgusting. And I'm looking at an open, gaping wound on this robot. And they're taking care to draw it in such a way that it feels like I immediately connect that with disease. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think this idea of like sentient living machinery with systems to repair itself, antibodies, right? That was in microbots. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't they have disease? So I, I like that Megatron is also. What, what he says here coming up about, like, it's like, we don't get diseases. Well, maybe. Megatron is a science denier. <laughs> and Starscream is a scientist, so there we go. Yep. <laughs> I never made that connection. Oh, my gosh, he is. <laughs> Science is real from the Big Bang to TNN. Science is real. There's a lot of things in this episode that are kind of <laughs> eerily relevant for our times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so yeah, so just wanted to get everybody to look up at the screen when Megatron's talking about this, because yeah, it's it's a little bit shocking. And then over five minutes into this episode, we finally cut away to some Autobots. Not that I'm in any hurry to get away from the Decepticons, but we rarely spend so much time with them up front at the start of an episode. We cut away to the Science Achievement Awards, where an announcer addresses a crowd. 
He's explaining that usually these awards go to human beings, but this year it's going to Autobot scientist Perceptor for his invention of Coror Stop. Perceptor walks out and says he's honored to be awarded. Now, who do we see in the crowd, Jersey? Yeah, for about, a, I want to say two and a half seconds. <laughs> <laughs> we get a nice view of the Witwickies, Spike and Sparkplug, and sitting between them is Carly. And mm -hmm. I got excited saying, I don't remember them being in this episode. Oh, that's so cool. We have, I haven't seen Spike <laughs> in a long time. And then the scene switches back to Perceptor. And, and that's know. the last we see of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not just for this episode. Sadly, this is the last we're ever going to see Sparkplug. <sighs> we will never see him again. And fittingly, he dressed up nice in a blue suit for the occasion. <laughs> So goodbye, Sparkplug. We'll miss you, buddy. We will. The good time that made us laugh, The bestower of the award interviews Perceptor on the stage. Is it true that the Autobots plan to coat all of the Earth's great monuments with Korostop? We'd like to, eventually. It will help preserve them forever. As you know, Korostop resists rust and corrosion, and it's stronger than any known metal. Unfortunately, at this time, we only have enough Korostop to coat one monument, the Statue of Liberty. It's alloyed from a very rare element, so of course, we wouldn't want the formula to be discovered by the Decepticons. Hmm, that's awfully convenient. Megatron has rust. Perceptor just invented something that stops rust. I wonder where this plot will go. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, if you really want to get persnickety about it, we could say that with a little creative editing with maybe Victor Crowley's voice coming in, several weeks before, right, when we cut to Perceptor. Like, this actually happened a while ago, and mm. we're just connecting them now because to explain within 21 minutes why Megatron right. wants to catch a Perceptor. But yeah, it does feel like, well, that's weird. He just invented that the same time Megatron needs it. Well, there you go. <laughs> How about that cartoon fiction, you know? <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely telegraphing its punches here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we cut back to the Decepticons where Starscream has returned to update Megatron. He says the repair bay will have Megatron's replacement part as soon as they get around to it. <laughs> now, I think this is just the usual Starscream sass, because what other Decepticon could there possibly be in the repair bay that would dare say that they'll repair Megatron when they get around to it? Right. In any case, it seems the situation is more dire than it initially seemed. Megatron is now sitting on that same table... But he has his back to us, and he's in shadow. Yeah, this scene is so good. They're setting this up for some Cybertronian equivalent of Cronenberg body horror by concealing what's wrong with him. He's talking to Starscream with his back to him, and they got like this purple sort of shadow going over the top right half of the screen and sort of obscuring Megatron's face and his, his, his shoulder. I spend a lot of time talking with my students about what you show and what you don't show and how that contributes to storytelling. And by not showing him, they are giving us the opportunity to imagine some pretty horrific stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't see yeah. him at all in this scene. As he says, 
Replacing my chest won't be enough! Nor will your minimal knowledge! I need an expert! Order the Stunticons to seize Perceptor and bring him to me! Do as I say! <laughs> so where's the Constructicons? He doesn't think they have enough science knowledge? Would Hook just be all, we can slap a new coat of paint on you, maybe a nice green and purple camouflage? <laughs> I know we have to expedite the story, but I would have shown the Constructicons checking him out again with Megatron's back to us to build suspense and just have them look shocked, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So we could have seen Megatron try to fix things himself in-house before he stoops as low as he can get to get help from an Autobot. But now, we're involving the Stunticons, so maybe they'll get some expanded characterization. Cross fingers, everyone. <laughs> but don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Cross fingers, don't hold breath. <laughs> but for now, we cut away to the aerial bots who are heading for the Statue of Liberty in order to coat it with Quorostop. As we get there, we see several Autobots are here spraying the Quorostop onto the statue. We see Prime, Wheeljack, Mirage, Ratchet, Ironhide, Red Alert, Bumblebee, and Gears, who's colored like Rumble instead. Mm. Remember recently I pointed out how a lot of Season 1 characters have come back into focus lately? And here's another case of that. It's almost as if they know they'll be disappearing soon and want to give us one last run. So while the Autobots work on coding Lady Liberty, we cut away to a ferry boat shuttling some cars over. But some of these aren't cars. They're the Stunticons. Okay, people, this is a mutiny. No, no, a hijack. I mean, we're taking over this boat. Now, if you don't recognize that voice and cadence, don't worry. You don't have to question your level of fandom. This is Breakdown of the Stunticons, the beige Lamborghini. We've previously only heard him say five words in his first appearance. <laughs> That's right. I break down. I'll obey too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I could be out of my mind, but that sure sounded like Alan Oppenheimer to me. Well, another reason you shouldn't recognize Breakdown's voice here is because back in Key to Victor Sigma, Jack Angel did his voice. Yeah. But in this episode, it's Alan Oppenheimer. Wow. You thought it was, and I looked it up, and sure enough, it was. Of course, Jersey has listened to enough Alan Oppenheimer in his life from He-Man episodes alone for his ear to pick him out instantly. Well, and like I said, you know, that man's voice could make me do some some pretty uncharacteristic things. Uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I want I want somebody to deep fake his voice to be the voice of my biography someday. Right? Or or like in Stranger Than Fiction, just narrating everything I'm doing. Jersey's sitting at his computer now and he's talking to his friend Hoover. But with that sweet Duncan voice, where it's like, you can't win if you don't try. You know, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. So Breakdown, Dead End, and Motormaster are here on the ferry, scaring the humans and trying to nab Perceptor at the Statue of Liberty. We cut back to there, where a news reporter interviews Perceptor on the uses and origins of Coruscant. He has to be tight-lipped, though, as he can't risk the formula falling into the wrong hands. And we cut back to the ferry... And we see why we only saw three of the Stunticons before. In front of the large ferry is Wild Rider piloting a smaller boat as Dragstrip water skis behind him. I guess the Stunticons are a swell bunch and they have fun. <laughs> I, 
it's nice to see Decepticons enjoying their work. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Wild Rider rockets the boat towards the docks, steering away at the last second so the inertia of the water skiing dead end carries him up over the land. He transforms in midair, fully in vehicle mode by the time his tires hit the ground. Now this is what's fun about the Stunicons. Every time we see them, they're doing crazy stunts. If they just did regular, ordinary car stuff, that would be so dull and boring. But the Stunicons are turned up to 11 nearly every time they're shown, and I dig it. Yeah, I as I was watching this one, they were really giving me a bit of a Dreadnoughts vibe. Like, what the Dreadnoughts mm. did for Cobra is what the Stunicons are doing for the Decepticons. They're adding this... Well, we've compared them to, like, a, a rough and rowdy gang. They're not yep. an army. And I love that everybody's paying attention to this and serving that in the way that they behave. Well, Dragstrip motors towards Perceptor's interview as the reporter screams and flees. Dragstrip transforms and takes a few shots at Perceptor, causing him to run for cover near the coast. Still on the ferry, Motormaster swings a giant chain and manages to lasso Perceptor, yanking him into the water and towards the ferry. Perceptor yells for help, but I guess he doesn't have a radio to summon the other Autobots? Mm -hmm. Back at the Statue of Liberty, Perceptor's cries go unheard as Optimus and Ironhide admire the work. But suddenly the reporter runs up and alerts them that Perceptor's been attacked. Prime sends the aerial bots to retrieve him, and the five take off. As Dead End and Breakdown load Perceptor into Blitzwing, who's suddenly portrayed as being big enough to carry <laughs> other full-sized Decepticons inside, yeah. Dead End cryptically reveals... You've got an appointment with Megatron! And we go to our first commercial break. Now, Hoover, if you don't mind me interrupting here, you have taken me on many journeys to the toy store to purchase various things to keep my serotonin levels high <laughs> while I'm waiting for the, the story to resume. Now, I think this episode has a sort of a disease theme, and I think part of the reason Megatron fell victim to that disease is like partially maybe has something to do with his own nutrition levels, and I think I, I would like to steer us towards some more healthful purchases this commercial mm. break will you come with me sure okay so in order to boost his immunity how about megatron try out gi joe action stars as part of this complete breakfast <sighs> introducing gi joe action stars brand cereal a delicious part of this complete breakfast crunchy stars that taste great so for all you action stars bye mom gi joe action stars <laughs> i will definitely try that out myself because a G.I. Joe cereal must be healthy, right? <laughs> it has to be. Because <laughs> why else would Cobra want to keep you away from it? <laughs> That's my favorite part of the commercial where the Cobra is like guarding something and the kid has to like scurry under some bushes. So the Cobra literally looks at it and is like, hey. And the kid keeps going. <laughs> oh, and then you fly to school afterwards. I mean, that, that must be good food. And, you know, Megatron could supplement his breakfast with some Flintstone vitamins, you know, 10 million strong mm. and growing. That's more kids than there are years in the Cybertronian Civil War, if you think about wow. it. Wow. This world takes a little growing into, and 10 million kids are growing up with Flintstones. 10 million and I can remember the taste of them when I think back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And when my doctor recommended I start taking a multivitamin daily mm -hmm. because I'm old now, my first thought was, hmm, I wonder if I could get away with taking Flintstone vitamins. <laughs> but I think she wanted me to take grown-up vitamins. Oh, what a drag. 
I think Flintstone vitamins now are only available in gummies, as far as I know. I don't know if they still come mm. in that chewy little chalky bit. Yeah, gummy so. vitamins seems to be the way of things these days for some reason. Mm. But mm. I used to enjoy the Flintstone vitamins. I did too. <laughs> I was like, Mom, can I have one more? I, 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 I got Barney and I wanted Fred. You know, it's like, no, you only get one. Oh, come on. <laughs> they were pretty tasty. But maybe another part of the reason he's not feeling well is that he has a parasite, like the Matchbox Parasites. From Haley's Comet come the Parasites. They hide in cars and trucks. We'll hide here. Nemesite the Hunter. You can't hide from him. I feel like we're being watched. Terracite the Parasite Spy watches your every move. Well, I'm not afraid. Destructite unfolds to unleash destruction. Did you have those? I did not have any of those, but looking at them now, they're not too bad. <laughs> I mean, they're they're definitely more on sort of the GoBot slash RoboForce level than yeah. they are on the Transformers level. Yeah. They're fairly neat looking. Wow. So, Rock Lords, no. Parasites, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's my stance. <laughs> Hoover doesn't flip-flop people. <laughs> you could say my views on them are set in rock. Oh, nice. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> well, as we return, Dead End Breakdown and their new prisoner enter Blitzwing via a side door. Seconds later, Blitzwing is taking off into the sky. The aerial bots spot him and give chase, thinking that he must have Perceptor. Yeah, there's not awesome animation here. <laughs> but there are cute moments where the aerial bots are showing their inexperience. And there's like this moment where somebody's like, hey, watch out! And they almost hit a building and then they swerve around it really fast. But yeah, it's not a long or extended scene. Not a whole lot of characterization between the aerial bots and the Stunicons, but it's okay. Well, Blitzwing makes it all the way to headquarters, but the aerial bots are still on his tail. So he calls ahead and has Megatron prepare the defenses. And what that translates to is Dirge and Ramjet rolling out the lightning bug to the opening of the sea tower and unleashing its power. And in this scene, I don't know if anybody cares, but I always get excited when I get to see like the cockpit of any Transformer in vehicle mode. We get to see what it looks like inside of Blitzwing's cockpit there. A couple of the aerial bots get zapped by this thing, causing them to retreat. So the Decepticons head inside and lower the tower. Dirge and Ramjet escort Perceptor into Megatron who's still sitting on the operating table with his back to the viewers. Welcome, <coughs> Perceptor. Please dispense with the formalities. You are my mortal enemy, and... <sighs> and it's now that Megatron turns, and it's revealed that the rust is all over him. Dirge and Ramjet are aghast. Their faces and their body language immediately tell us that they're absolutely shocked to see Megatron in this state. Yeah, they did a good job of creating a sense of drama here because the animation doesn't pay off like what you expect, right? And that's the problem with doing these things where you have like a conceal to build tension is that when you give us time to imagine what it is, it's always going to be better in our heads than whatever you can do. Mm -hmm. You could have the best animation in the world and it's still not going to be as horrific as what we imagined. But they save it when you see Dirge and Ramjet respond, right? When you see how horrified they are, then it goes back into your imagination. So it's good. But Megatron continues. You have a unique opportunity, Perceptor, to gain peace in return for a favor. 
What sort of favor? Solve this little problem of mine. <coughs> if you're serious about peace, Megatron, then begin by surrendering your new weapon. If you cure me, the weapon is yours. <sighs> Very well. And then Perceptor transforms to better analyze this cosmic rust on him. Perceptor identifies it as a metallic plague. Megatron doesn't believe this, as only organics are infected by disease. Perceptor states that this is a plague that can wipe out robots just like the Black Plague did for humans. And Perceptor calls it cosmic rust. Doing further analysis, Perceptor traces the plague back to the asteroid fragment removed from Megatron's hull and deduces that the lightning bug heat ray is making this all spread faster, so it should be destroyed. Megatron objects. This is not our agreement! Kill me! Kill me now! And then as Megatron is gesturing, his right hand falls off onto the floor. Now look what you've done! I love all these emotive Frank Welker lines. Yeah, it's really good. And he sounds like an aggrieved child now. And Mm -hmm. for good reason. His hand just fell off his body. This is like Mm -hmm. a Monty Python, you know, bring out your dead skit, right? It is both tragic, horrific, and comical all in one. This is, I I remember that scene all the way back to my childhood and thinking like, wow, this this feels different than anything I've seen on the show. Megatron is absolutely at Perceptor's mercy. And the only, the only, tactic he has to keep the upper hand is to throw a tantrum like a child this was not our agreement kill me kill me now right he throws a fit Mm -hmm. instead of saying well actually perceptor has a point here (laughs) we got to destroy the lightning bug." well i'm not giving that up and also perceptor shame on you he just tipped his hand because if he really was going to hand over the lightning bug to you he would let you destroy it anyway well perceptor picks up the severed hand covered in rust and pours a small vial of Corostop on it. In seconds, the rust has disappeared, causing Megatron to ask what the liquid is. And Perceptor tells him that he calls it Corostop, as Megatron quickly snatches the vial from him. He starts rubbing it on himself, and instantly the rust starts receding. Decepticons! We are about to be cured! Uh, what's this we stuff? As far as we know, only Megatron and possibly Astrotrain has this problem. It reminds me of that Captain Communism meme that's been going around lately. Then we change scenes and cut away to our thick buddy Cosmos, who's (laughs) reporting in to Blaster with bad news. Ingredient X, a key part of the Corostop mixture, seems to have run dry as Cosmos can't find any anywhere. I think this is only the second time we've seen Blaster and Cosmos flying around space together, but I really dig it, and I wonder if there's more. Probably not. But I like this partnership of the outer space scout and the communications expert going on missions in deep space. Mm. We cut away to the arc where the aerial bots are explaining their retreat after the lightning bug heat ray was unleashed. The wounds on Air Raid and Firefight are still smoking and sizzling. And just then, who calls up Prime but a very shiny Megatron who says he has a gesture of goodwill. He's released Perceptor and he's three miles away waiting to be picked up. Yeah, so when Megatron is on the screen, <laughs> they're taking care to put those little sunbow sparkles on all the corners <laughs> of his body. And it got me thinking, like, has Super 7 seen this yet? Because it seems like that would be another mm-hmm. variation of the three three-quarter inch 
figure to make back metal Megatron, right? Chorostop <laughs> <laughs> infused Megatron, something like that. <laughs> well, then we see a shot of Perceptor in microscope mode, strapped to a metal chair or something, and he's all covered in rust. He's there now, but pick him up before noon. What happens at noon? At noon, the sun's rays will focus through his lenses and ignite the fuse of the bomb at the base of his microscope. Oh, Dread, I thought everyone stopped at noon to watch all my children. <laughs> Megatron loves Erica Kane. So next thing we know, all the Autobots are outside the Ark, ready to save Perceptor. And maybe it's not all, but it's more than we usually see at once. There's a big pan, and we see Inferno, Ironhide, Powerglide, Bumblebee, Trax, Hound, Smokescreen, Beachcomber, Hoist, Trailbreaker, Blaster, Sideswipe, Sunstreaker, Cosmos, Prowl, Mirage, Ratchet, and the five Aerialbots. Wow. Prime gives a speech. Autobots, I'm sure you're all aware that we're heading into a trap. We must go or lose Perceptor forever. Megatron will have us on his terms and on his turf. Autobots, transform and roll out. They head out and get to the cliff above where Perceptor is being held. No signs of any Decepticons. Prime tells the other Autobots to stay back as he leaps down into the canyon to try to save Perceptor. And Perceptor's lens is already starting to light the bomb fuse at his feet. Optimus, you'll be infected with cosmic rust! If I don't save you, that bomb will blow you to bits! And we head to our second commercial break. That's a good cliffhanger. That's actually a really good one. So, now it seems to me that Perceptor needs vitamins, minerals, and medicine, right? So, quick, Hoover! Let's all drink some Capri Sun before we catch cosmic rust ourselves. It's great tasting fun when you punch open one. Capri Sun fruit drink in the take along couch. 10% fruit juice, nothing artificial. There's only one Capri Sun. It's great tasting fun when you punch open one. There's only one Capri Sun. But there's only one. <laughs> what are we going to do? We can't share germs on the straw. <laughs> There is only one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you think they did that intentionally to get anxious kids to tell their parents, like, go, to the, go get it. There's only one. We only have one left. <laughs> and now there's a new watermelon. I need the watermelon one. Oh, that man. song just pops up in my head on a random basis, much like <laughs> Bring Home All the Action pops in your head randomly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty catchy jingle, yeah. But you know what else has vitamin C? unsweetened Kool-Aid brand soft drink mix because mom knows how to take the fun out of summer. What a perfect time for Kool-Aid. Mom sure knew how to start the summer. Now I use Kool-Aid and sweeten. Even with my sugar soda's about three times the price. Plus Kool-Aid has vitamin C and that fruity summertime flavor. You know, I was drinking Kool-Aid one day, and I was like, you know, what would make this better is if all the sweetness was robbed, <laughs> taken out, and destroyed from it. I I knew kids in my neighborhood whose parents would only put half the amount of sugar in the Kool-Aid. 
And because it was, it was like a cup of sugar or something. It was, it was some ridiculous amount of you, but you controlled how much you added the sugar, which is what this mom is so excited about. And yeah, there was a mom down the street, and like she, she was not, she was not a warm and welcoming presence. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt a little nervous around her. I was like, she doesn't like kids, does she? We would drink Kool Aid and be like, oh, why does it taste so sour? It tastes really weird. It's like, oh yeah, my mom only uses half the sugar. I'm like, wow, what? Does, does, does she also like lock you in rooms? <laughs> And this is being branded as sugar-free Kool-Aid or anything like that. It's unsweetened Kool-Aid. Right. You you control the sugar intake for your kids, which, you know, hey, I don't have kids, so who am I to say? But look, we can't do a commercial break without trying to sell some toys. So in keeping with the theme of healthy eating, let's all go get some food fighters. <laughs> they're action figures, but they're food. But they're also <laughs> action figures fighting a war, but they're food. Your history, Private Pizza. Pow! And your lunch. Combat curtains. Fire! What's going on? Joy saved this food again, Mom. Food fighters, figures in combat curtain, each sold separately. Toys do not walk and talk. <laughs> well, look, the Weird Al Yankovic fan in me bought the concept. It's like, oh, that's awesome. He's, it's like Michael Bell's Duke, but like a hamburger. I'm in. Well, I'm not, because Mom says, don't play with your food. Oh, see, that's the transgression of it. <laughs> I get to play with my food now, and it's fully sanctioned by my mom, who unsweetened the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy drinking out of a sack here, because Capri Sun <laughs> made that a thing. That's true. <laughs> you drink out of your silver sack. I'm going to drink my unsweetened red Kool-Aid, whatever flavor that is, and play with my talking hamburger. So are we ready to go back to the show? <laughs> well, as we return, Perceptor wants Prime to stay back and save himself. And I really like Prime's retort here. Be quiet, and that's an order. Ah, yes, I like Prime when his troops annoy him. <laughs> but surprise, Prime manages to rescue Perceptor seconds before the bomb goes off. Perceptor insists he be left here as the cosmic rust could infect the whole headquarters. But Prime leaves no one behind. He mm -hmm. lifts Perceptor up himself and prepares to take him home. Now back at base, Ratchet is having a look at him, and Perceptor explains the details of the virus. Prime wants to know where the rust germs come from, and Wheeljack hopes that Teletran 1 can supply the information. Checking files. The germs originated on a planet called Antilla. At the dawn of time, there was a thriving Autobot civilization. Then dreaded asteroids began falling from the sky to spread cosmic rust. No cure was ever found. The 13th Legion, the Lost Legion, was decimated by that malevolent scourge. Aha. The 13th Legion, the Lost Legion. And do you notice that Teletran once said, dreaded asteroids began falling from the sky so the <laughs> fact they say dreaded asteroids and like teletran one isn't one to like just throw around adjectives like, <laughs> like willy-nilly so when i hear that i thought that sounds like a proper name that sounds like something where maybe this was an actual decepticon weapon of some sort mm. and that's why that asteroid earlier like started following like it, it just knows to hone in on cybertronians right 
Makes sense. But let's talk about what we see during that little story that Teletran One shows. First, we get to see like that cool planet, and it's like now we get a wider shot, and it's basically Jupiter, but instead of the great red spot, it's got an Autobot symbol. But it, then it's got rings like Saturn, but it's a, like an asteroid belt ring, right? Mm -hmm. So it looks really cool. But then, how intense is this next scene as he's saying the 13th Legion, the Lost Legion, was decimated by that malevolent scourge? As he's saying that, we watch two robots walking along, and their body is being consumed by the cosmic cross. They stumble, and they fall, and the skin on their bodies falls off. <laughs> if you look closely at that image that I screen capped to her, you it, watch the animation. You watch all the exterior metal of the robot fall off, revealing a skeletal robot underneath. <laughs> that is freaky gross. And I know it's only a few seconds of animation, and I totally don't remember how I received that as a child. As I watch it now, I'm like, yikes. This is seriously for real. Well, Wheeljack asks if anything can combat the cosmic rust. And Teletran says, Koro Stop is the only known antidote. <laughs> How convenient. Thanks, Teletran. <laughs> but with no more ingredient X around, they can't make any more Koro Stop. So Wheeljack suggests using the matter duplicator. But, but Prime <laughs> reminds him that that invention never worked. Prime goes to use Teletran. But now he's getting his aesthetic screen. And he sees he has cosmic rust on his hands. This scene is so good. And this I do remember receiving as a child. It's like, now we get a great performance from Peter Cullen where he's like, I, I had no choice. You know, he realizes that he's just infected Teletran, right? And he's, he's, he realizes now he's probably infected more than just Teletran. But he says, I had no choice. I had to save Perceptor. What, could, what else could I have done? Right, but the gravity of that moment has fallen on him, and Peter Cullen delivers. And Ratchet, Wheeljack, and Blaster all have it on them as well. Ratchet exclaims that it's suddenly getting hot, and he wipes his brow. <laughs> he literally wipes his brow. I did not know you sweat out of that weird gray V on your head, Ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cut to outside where Megatron is using his heat ray on the arc, and he's accompanied by Rumble. Why not use it at full power and melt Autobot headquarters to the ground? I don't want to melt them, Rumble. I want to let them suffer slowly. <laughs> Soon they'll all be nothing but rusted scrap. Now, I don't want to go down a huge tangent, but clearly this isn't a huge army-on-army -army attack as we usually get. Megatron didn't bring the whole team. He brought Rumble. Is there any reason to bring Rumble here? Did you need any crevices made or to shake up the Ark? No. So here's my crazy theory. Megatron <laughs> really likes Rumble. And I don't mean in a kissy-kissy way. Put your pencils down, Tumblr. <laughs> but I just mean he literally finds the little guy entertaining. If I were to rank who I think Megatron's favorite Decepticons are, I think Laserbeak would be number one. Rumble would be number two, Soundwave would be number three, <laughs> and Shockwave would be number four. Skywarp might be number five. Most everyone else, way down the list. I think yeah. there's a steep drop off after about the top five. I think you just designed our next t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it says like Megatron's friend list and you see like Megatron's <laughs> hand like writing the list. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And at the bottom it says, number 276, Starscream. 
<laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> like, it's not enough to put him at the bottom of the list. He also has to say, I hate that guy. <laughs> so age is like a weird thing with Transformers. Did Megatron have a youth? Or was he created as he is? I can see a young Megatron being a little directionless until he found his way in life after getting a good point in the right direction. And I think he wants to be in that role for Rumble. I think mm. in order for Megatron to like you, he has to see some of himself in you. And honestly, I think he sees a lot of himself in Starscream as well. Which mm, is yeah. one reason he keeps him around. So I like to think Megatron had to be sort of taught and molded and shaped by someone. I think that's a really neat idea. And mm. I know IDW did a Megatron Origin miniseries. And I remember mm. thinking it was okay. But I would really like to see an actual G1 cartoon backstory. Unfortunately, I don't think I'd ever see it as I think it should go. But at the very least, it's just an interesting thought experiment if you think about this stuff too much like I do. So, Rumble is his latest mentee. And Starscream is his previous mentee who's now, you know, doesn't need any more of Megatron's advice. And as a matter of fact, is now sassing back to Megatron. And he keeps him around because he knows everything we've talked about before about, like, rationalizing the real reason Megatron keeps Starscream around. But I like this idea of, right, he's, he's had, he was a mentee once, and he's cycling new Decepticons through. He, when he sees promise, it's like, ah, you mm -hmm. might be the thing, right? So now I don't want an origin story. What I want is the story that takes place 100 years later, where Rumble is now up the charts <laughs> and a little higher in rank in the Decepticon army, you know? And no yeah, longer... That would be interesting. He, now, he's given the sass back to Megatron or Galvatron or whoever it would be at that point, right? And who would be the new mentee? The episodes bear out your hypothesis that that, that is Megatron's list of favorite people. <laughs> if, if, if he likes anybody, he likes them. And not that I think, like, Rumble and Starscream on the same level. To me, Rumble is like a 15-year-old, and Starscream mm -hmm. is like a 25-year-old. Yeah. And Megatron's like 40, something like yeah. that. So oh, you're you're pushing all my buttons with this because like I have been mentoring young people for the last decade and I have mentees who are now in their mid twenties who give me the the business when I'm completely in the wrong on things and they <laughs> teach me stuff you know and then I have you know eleven year old mentees who are really looking up to me and admiring me and, and I'm thinking about that that moment of transition where they suddenly look at me in the eye and go mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, what? I tell you how things are, not vice versa. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if Megatron ever was like a 15-year-old like Rumble is, but mm. if he was, I feel like he sees a lot of similarities. Like, Rumble just likes to mess things up. You know, he likes to cause a lot of damage. He doesn't necessarily have much direction. That's why Megatron has to point him in the direction to go do things. He doesn't have a lot of drive and a raison d'etre, as they say. Well, and, and he's not sophisticated in his methods, right? Because mm -hmm. like Rumble says, why don't we just blow him up? And Megatron's like, why would you do that when you can make him suffer slowly? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rumble, my, my, my heart, there is a much more hideously cruel way to go about doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> And I think the thing that most irks Megatron about Starscream is that Starscream won't listen. Mm. Megatron was once in Starscream's shoes, it feels like, and he had someone to learn from. 
Mm. But the mistake is that Starscream keeps swatting down the advice. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Megatron took it in and became the great leader he is. So I have, I have some very big thoughts on how this episode would be like almost a classic unforgettable episode. Had they done something different with Starscream in this episode, but I'll save that for the end. Okay. So anyway, Megatron is microwaving the arc on high. (laughs) Cut to the Autobots inside headquarters, and Teletran is now showing them what Megatron's up to outside. This causes Perceptor and Wheeljack to spring into action, as Perceptor has a plan. The pair go into the room with the matter duplicator. They attempt to start it up, but little happens. But after a few swift kicks from Perceptor, well, it roars to life. I feel like this is a pretty big cliché in the fiction of this time and before, Part of me wants to groan at it, but I know it worked because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of memories of grandparents, parents, uncles, and aunts hitting the TV with all their might on the side and the top when they were getting a bad signal. Did you ever Mm -hmm. see that happen? Yeah. So I don't remember it ever working, but I remember that was like a tactic. (laughs) The TV signal's not coming in as strong as I would like. I'll hit the TV. (laughs) So it felt like it was true. But we did see this joke a lot. You just hit it hard. Like, it was in Back to the Future. It was in Fire Strikes Back. Yeah, it just keeps on happening. So, Well, we cut back to Deceptitown under the sea where Megatron's back home asking Soundwave if Laserbeak has returned with the visuals. And he has. Soundwave then inserts Laserbeak into the video console. And we see shots of the Autobots all sick in the arc lying on those repair beds and groaning. So, Laserbeak took that video inside Autobot headquarters. So he went into a plague-infected room to grab snapshots for Megatron. Yeah, of course he would. He doesn't have to touch anything. He just flies around. It doesn't seem to be an airborne virus, thankfully. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Okay. Megatron didn't say, hey, go to Autobot headquarters and rub up against Perceptor for me. (laughs) I think Laserbeak's chicken. (laughs) (laughs) This episode aired around the time when, as we've mentioned on this podcast, I have more than two handfuls of siblings. Like, count all of your fingers, and then count all of your fingers again, and I I still have more siblings to go. We all got the flu that year. 1985, we all got the flu that fall really bad, all at the same time. And I remember it looked like this with us all laying in rows on the floor, just groaning all the time. (laughs) So many children sick to their stomachs with diarrhea. The worst, one of the worst autumns of my life. And when I hear like everybody groaning and laying on those beds in a row, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. This show keeps dredging up difficult memories for me, Hoover. (laughs) So anyway, so Laserbeak took all these pictures of sick and dying Autobots. Oh, this makes Megatron a very happy camper. Too bad you used all the Korostop on the human statue and gave the rest to me. (laughs) Well, rest in peace, Prime. We did it. We're going to be saved. What? So Perceptor explains that the matter duplicator is working and they just need to scrape off some Korostop from the Statue of Liberty and bring it back to replicate. But not if Megatron gets there first. So Megatron, Soundwave, and Rumble all fly out to the Statue of Liberty. And then we cut to the New York Harbor at night, where we see the Stunicons on a boat again as Megatron (laughs) flies overhead. (laughs) So here I'm finally making my own Decepticon fanon, is that (laughs) in 
in this episode, the Stunticons discovered that they just love boating. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they, they, they're like getting ready to let the boat go, and then Motormash's like, you know, guys, <laughs> <laughs> that was awful fun. You know, when you were riding around on the water skis, yeah, that was. Yeah, <laughs> let's keep the boat. And like the people that they made go into the captain's cabin are still in the captain's cabin. <laughs> like, let us out, let us out. And like the Stunticons don't even pay any attention because they're just enjoying boating so much. <laughs> As they exit the boat onto the land, Megatron orders that they form Menasaur. Stunicons have brought the lightning bug heat ray with them, and Megatron gives Menasaur the honor of using it on the Statue of Liberty. Menasaur holds the little thing in his large hands, but suddenly the voice of Prime emerges from the darkness. Drop it, Menasaur! Prime! Show yourself! The Autobots emerge out of the nooks and crannies of the Statue of Liberty, and before you know it, a standard laser battle erupts between the teams until Megatron instructs Menasaur to turn on the heat. And there's some silliness here where Optimus is literally hanging by one arm off of one of the sort of crown bits on the Statue of Liberty's head and is firing on the Decepticons. And then there's this great, great shot of the statue and the city behind it as we just see lasers moving back and forth between the statue and the ground. <laughs> it's pure silliness, but what is it about this imagery that just feels so of its time, but also arresting? Because this is also what they did in the beginning of G.I. Joe the movie. And man, oh man, I just buy into it hook, line, and sinker, right? <laughs> I just like, why would you have a battle on the Statue of Liberty? Well, because it's a symbol of all these things that we hold dear or we're taught to hold dear in this country, right? So Megatron's going to give Menasaur the honor of decimating a symbol of freedom and safe haven for peoples <laughs> around the world, right? So there's that. It's the whole, there's a graffiti element of it, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna rub poop on the statue of the, the, of the town's founder kind of, kind of thing. So <laughs> it has that thing to it. But I also acknowledge that it's kind of a, it's a ridiculous idea for a fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I buy it. And just as Menasaur lifts the lightning bug above his head, in swoop the aerial bots who concentrate fire on Menasaur, causing him to drop the heat ray. The aerial bots then form Superion and blast Menasaur, knocking him over. And then we get your typical combiner grapple fest for a bit, until Superion throws Menasaur over his head. As Menasaur hits the pavement, he disassembles and returns to vehicle mode. Superion then concentrates fire on the lightning bug, destroying it. And at this point, Megatron has to just cut his losses and order a retreat. He, Soundwave, and Rumble fly away, soon joined by the Stunicons, who also fly out. They don't get back on the boat. Oh. <laughs> I want, how cool would it have been if they climbed on the boat and drove away? Oh my gosh. It's like the humans think they're finally safe and they start coming out. <laughs> then all of a sudden the Stunicons are running back towards the boat, so they all just run back in the cabin. <laughs> that would have been pretty darn good. <sighs> and as the scene transitions, it looks like a little past dawn now, and the Autobots congratulate each other on a job well done. And we see they're all rust-free now, presumably after slathering the chorus stop from the statue onto themselves. I think we've seen the last of Cosmic Rust. Yeah, and we saved the lady at the same time. Lady? That one. Yeah! Yay! 
Yeah, that's also super cheesy because, like, uh, yeah, we saved the lady too. Yeah, we saved another, like, artifact of our values encapsulated into statue form. Yep. <laughs> so the end. So we're slowly, slowly getting characterization out of the Stunicons a little, kind of. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Breakdown at least finally got a substantial scene with a couple lines. But I need more. There's only five more episodes of season two, Sunbo. Make them count. I do really like the plot on this one. And at times it gives off real horror film vibes with all those scenes of Megatron with his back to us. Mm-hmm. And I have to give a lot of credit to Frank Welker, whose delivery of Megatron's line as he's sick, it just sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does. I can really imagine Wally Burr in my head wrangling that performance out of him. No, you're sicker. You're sicker than that. Come on. <laughs> I love the little details like Dirge and Ramjet's reaction to the rusted Megatron, and I love Megatron's method of fixing himself, i.e. steal the Autobot scientist. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I subtract a couple points for is the amazing coincidence that the weak Perceptor invents an anti-rust compound, Megatron gets a rust virus. I know you kind of have to do it this way, but maybe they could have found a way to smoothen that out a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe they even could have taken it down a morally grayer road, like what if this spread so bad that all the Decepticons were affected? And Prime has to make the choice, do I save the lives of the Decepticons? you could go down some really interesting paths. Yep. But all in all, it was a fun episode, and bonus points for Rumble being there without even factoring into the plot powers-wise at all. He's just there to be a character. Wow. It's not like Inferno. When you see Inferno, it's like, oh, someone's going to catch fire. (laughs) And traditionally, when we see Rumble, a Mm -hmm. crevasse is going to be made. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't happen this time. Now, I did mention earlier that this was the last time that we see Sparkplug ever. Apparently, it's also the last time that we see Smokescreen, but we barely saw him here. He was just like blue and red legs hidden behind someone else in the big pan shot of the Autobots. Wow. So let's say goodbye to our Autobot friend who cheats at gambling. Goodbye, Smokescreen. We barely knew you. Just think of me as the Autobot who wasn't there. (laughs) And now you're no longer there. (laughs) So what do you think about this episode in total? I have a couple observations about things that I really dig. And I, I, you know, I echo a lot of your sentiments, like the whole horror element of Megatron keeping his back to us and the, 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 pained performance of frank welker the reveal of his disease and showing the decepticons like shrieking away with horror at it that's all great and it makes this episode stand out as being unique we get to see megatron appear vulnerable mm-hmm. that gets me excited and gets me kind of like <laughs> it kind of, it's like dad gave me five dollars and i asked for ten <laughs> you know it's like it's like <laughs> can i have another five dollars because i like that i like having five dollars can i have more five dollars <laughs> what what i what i kind of wish would have happened is kind of something that we get in Transformers the movie where maybe the moment Starscream discovers that Megatron actually has the disease and like you pointed out Megatron fell down one time Megatron said like oh I'm dizzy and Starscream's like I'm in charge 
This time, Megatron's actually dying from a disease. This was not only Starscream's opportunity to seize leadership, but he had a good reason. He could have turned to the Decepticon saying, if we keep him here, he will infect everybody. Do you want to die? I don't mm. want to die. Who's going to argue with that, right? Yeah. And, and now we've got a really good division of the Decepticon and Autobot worldview in that Megatron's kicked out. He's, he's banished from his own base. And plus, this would give him such a good reason to come back and really hurt Starscream for doing that, right? <laughs> But now he's abandoned, and then he turns to Perceptor for help. And does the same promise, I'll give you peace between the Autobots and Decepticons if you just cure me. He's lying because he always lies. But it shows that Perceptor and the Autobots help everybody, even Megatron. Mm -hmm. Optimus, at the risk of his own life, goes to save Perceptor, and he says, I had no choice. I had to help my friend, right? He gets infected, and he winds up endangering everybody because of that. And then we get into like, this whole, like, and this is what we've been living for this last year is this whole idea of like the immunes and the not immunes and what's the, what's the proper way to engage and how do you navigate the world safely so as not to be a vector for other people, right? But also how do you make conscious and helpful choices about the people in your life? All of that would be wound up in it. But the main idea would be for me is that had Starscream actually behaved properly like Starscream in this one, he finally had justification and no one could argue with him. Mm. So, and then you could even do the whole bit with Rumble, where Rumble's like, well, I'm not going to leave you, Megatron. What? Whoa. What's this all about? Soundwave's <laughs> like, oh, I never leave Megatron. He's, he's, he's my boss. He's my best buddy kind of thing, right? So the tapes yeah. and Soundwave go off with Megatron. You can still do all that, right? So you still have the scene with the lightning bug, and I want to make them suffer and everything. So there's that. But things I like, and things that I like that sort of like point to the absurd goofiness of this television show, which was designed to sell toys to children and had lots of writers. So there's lots of conflicting voices and interests and overlapping and parallel work happening. Why a bug? Where did that idea come from for the yeah. heat ray? Right. I love that. It doesn't get explained. Actually. I'm mm -hmm. really, I like the idea that we get this little tiny sort of cross section of an Autobot colony Teletran 1 names it as if it's a famous name, the Lost Legion, as if we're all supposed to go like, oh, the Lost Legion, right? Mm -hmm. We're all supposed to look at each other and nod, like that checks out. But we don't get anything else about it. We are never going to learn what the, the Lost Legion was, again, unless somebody picked up that ball and ran with it in an IDW comic. But I like that too. I like the idea that this introduces a piece into the lore that is a little bit more ambiguous, mm. right? Where they clearly had a culture that was so old that they wrote in a language that is no longer commonly used. They had what appeared to be this heat ray weapon on an altar in their civilization. That, that bug served some civic purpose, I imagine, or religious purpose, who knows? But I like that that's all there, suggesting a more lived-in world that we don't have to have all of the dots connected mm -hmm. on. I like the implication of a bigger world, the suggestion of a bigger world, without having to dig into all of the details of that, if that makes sense. Right. So... I mean, it's just like if one of us were to make, like, a vague reference to World War II, you know, mm -hmm. we wouldn't say, well, you know, back in World War II, which happened from this year to this year, <laughs> and it was... Right. You know, yeah. not everything gets explained in every reference, and it's... it makes it like you said it sort of paints a bigger picture that oh there's this whole backstory that we're not privy to and mm -hmm. it happened but we're just going to get little pieces here and there and in season three we will see another instance of 
Autobots leaving Cybertron in the past. That's true. So we have already had a couple hints at this, that the Autobots did a lot of colonizing, right? That was hinted mm -hmm. at in Desertion of the Dinobots. It was hinted at with characters like DEFCON. And now we get like real evidence of a, an Autobot colony on some uninhabited planet. Mm -hmm. So that sort of suggests another whole thing. is like, can there be, we talked about this with the triple changes. Could there be a sort of branching off of transformer evolution given that you go to these different places and season four we certainly get that right mm -hmm. so it's surprising to me that they didn't use that more often from here on out to explain divergent premises for transformers like say not that they made it into the cartoon but like pretenders or micromasters or so on and so forth right because uh -huh. we, we now have sort of a easy go-to reason why we've never seen that character before you could just say oh this character came from this planet. Like mm -hmm. we get, we get a backstory for Sandstorm next season, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's like here's a new character we've never met before. Oh, turns out he wasn't living on Cybertron. He was living on this other planet. <laughs> That's gonna be a fun one to talk about. Yeah, because I, I I feel like there's a lot of good Decepticon moments in that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are my two big thoughts on this one. I I like the idea that they've they've. Like the observation you made about Megatron, assuming that everybody thinks like he does, having that, that myopia as only a truly villainous character could have, mm -hmm. I like the putting it into relief by showing that Perceptor helps him without much actual negotiations. <laughs> yeah. Perceptor walks in and he's like, you're my mortal enemy and I will help you. Well, if you help me, I'll give you this bug. Well, very well. I guess I will. <laughs> that, I feel like, could use some more finesse a la... And I don't know how well you remember this, but in Transformers Prime, there's a very similar conversation between Megatron and Ratchet, where Megatron convinces Ratchet to help him with a project. Mm. And it's a pretty it's a pretty rock solid argument for. So like when Ratchet says, I'll do it, you're like, Yeah, I see why you did that, Ratchet. Yeah, you're you're consorting with the enemy, but it's by by your estimation, a very worthy cause. So yeah, it's it's a really good episode all around cosmic rust it's just that like i said that those that one little thing would make it like probably top two classic everybody's got to watch cosmic rust if you really want to understand how the transformers works as a series but i guess i already said my bit about like the silliness of fighting on the statue of liberty but how it, it totally works for me the same way that like you know when hulk hogan reaches for the man upstairs in a wrestling <laughs> match like, i know this is this is absurd and fake but it still gives me goosebumps when he does it <laughs> <laughs> yeah for someone who never wrote a transformers episode before it's pretty darn solid yeah yeah and it, it does a lot of new things that we haven't seen before so introducing new lore new aspects to the series and the fact that now we know they can be diseased that's that's interesting too so if there's nothing else to say about this one i have to ask you hoover and i'm making this pause purposefully which episode <laughs> is next well, next up is a little episode called Starscream's Brigade. <gasps> is that what I think it is? Oh, it's what you think it is for sure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that can be found in Season 2, Episode 46 at Tubi.tv. This next episode made 11-year-old Jersey's heart sing. <laughs> and I imagine it's going to make grown-up Hoover's heart sing. <laughs> so... It is an episode I'm pretty well familiar with. Some of these that we revisit, it's just like, eh, 
I only have vague memories of that. I've only seen it like five times or whatever. But this one, mm. this one is a pretty darn good one that I have rewatched numerous times over the years. So wow. we'll get into it next time. Whew. All right. Well, if you want your very own matter duplicator, which will always work, <laughs> a great way to obtain one is to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. That helps more people find the podcast. You know how that works, right? It, it, it's absolutely obvious that more signals you pump to the internet saying that I like this thing means that the internet's going to say, hey, more people should look at this thing. That's, it's as simple as that. You know, you could also share it on social media. That's another great way to do it. Or on your blog, right? Maybe you got your own blog. You can say, hey, this is a show I listen to, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Related to that, if you want to help me bring Sparkplug Witwicky back into the series, because I already <laughs> miss him, you'll write a review saying what you like about the podcast. Does it, does it ever make you laugh? Does it ever make you think? Does it ever alter your perception or enhance your enjoyment of this Transformers cartoon if so maybe share a few thoughts on why that is so that other people can you know check out the show as well and it is super meaningful to us for everybody who Mm -hmm. does interact in a positive way that way is there like thinking about commercial breaks if they don't want to get some capri sun hoover or (laughs) some unsweetened kool-aid is there other ways that they could part with their father's money i think so like maybe at our t public store which is Mm. at tpublic.com slash user slash Four million years later. We have numerous designs there. Not a lot of new ones, but some will be coming, my artist tells me. <laughs> but much like Megatron, I don't believe what I'm told. <laughs> but you see, Autobots don't lie. So there we go. <laughs> well, Smokescreen did, and look what happened to Smokescreen. Got put in the cornfield by the little kid, after all. So... <laughs> You go hang out with Sparkplug. <laughs> You're a very bad robot, Blink. Oh, so thank you for this discussion, Hoover. We record this show weekly, and it drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Thanks to everybody who subscribes and downloads and listens and interacts with us on our Facebook page, which you'll hear about in a second. Until next time, I have been Jersey Droz at 4millionyearslater.com and changing my outro link. From now on, you can find everything I do at rss.jdrozd.com. That's the mm. feed for everything that I make, All whether it's social media, whether it's my YouTube, whether, whatever I'm doing, it's all getting pumped into that. rss.jdrozd.com. Even pictures of dinner you make? I don't share that publicly. Oh. That's only for you. That's only to say, look what I made. I see the picture, and then I'm like, where's the beef? <laughs> Yeah, it's made out of beans, Hoover. It's made out of beans. Mm. <laughs> anyway, rss.jdrozd.com. Mm-hmm. And you've been? I've been rss.hoover.org <laughs> because I'm Back for led. the people. No profit here. <laughs> oh, the roles just flipped. We're switching insignias, just like, just like Skyfire. Oh, my gosh. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, 
based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>